The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corner to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we've actually talked about part of this text already. And what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to focus on primarily Jesus' prayer and him teaching us how to pray. Because there's a quote in the front of your bulletin, and I really forget which of my mentors said it, but, um, oh, it's Brian Chapel. that's right. Prayer is the easiest and most difficult thing that we can do. Prayer is the easiest and most difficult thing we can do. It's easy because it's just about communication and talking. Um, but it's difficult because it's hard to believe it sometimes. It's hard to find time for it sometimes. We discover in the middle of it, maybe we don't know what to say. It's easy and it's difficult. And so Jesus answers that question that the disciples ask when they say, Jesus, how should we pray? And then he gives them the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer. And we say it every week in our worship service. So I want us to kind of start by thinking about in your mind, if you were asked this question, how you would answer, what's the most difficult thing you can imagine doing? Like, what's the most difficult thing you can imagine doing? And it's going to be different for different people. Maybe for some, it's, you know, 15 volumes of reading this one book series in a certain amount of time. Or, you know, there's lots of different ideas when you ask someone how they might answer this question. What's hard to do? Well, I read about a guy, and I saw a documentary about him, and I thought that he did something that's pretty difficult. His name's Nims, uh, Nims Persia. You ever heard of this guy? Um, Nims is a Nepalese climber, mountaineer, alpinist, um, and basically there's this thing in the climbing community called the 14 Peaks. And there are 14 peaks, and they're all over 26,000 feet tall, and the goal for the super elite climbers and mountaineers of the world is to do all 14 of those in a lifetime, okay? One guy did it in a year, about 15 years ago or something like that. Well, Nims had this idea. He said, okay, I want to do this in seven months. I want to climb 14, 26,000 foot plus peaks like K2 and Everest and others over the course of seven months, which is exceedingly difficult, not just because of the physical requirements, but it is difficult, obviously. You have to walk up these mountains, there's avalanches, there's freezing weather, there's wind. Um, it's dangerous, it's precarious because not only does the mountain change, but if you get to a certain level, they can't come rescue you, like, so you're stuck up there. But it's also difficult just because the world spins, you know, it has this thing called weather and, you know, annual patterns, and it's hard to crank out 14 hikes, climbing expeditions over the course of seven months just because of the timing of it. So everybody he talked to said, this is impossible. You can't do this. And so he said, okay, I've got a name for this project. I'm going to call it Mission Possible. 
I'm going to climb these peaks. And so he does it. He climbs it. it. That sounds incredibly difficult to me. I think one of the descents, he's coming off the mountain, and what happens to him is he finds a climber who's been left and abandoned, and all of his team gets around him and warms him up. They try to get him stable. Then they hike down the mountain. They take a helicopter back up. Um, and this is all over the course of about 18 to 20 hours that this is taking place. They get back to him, and they have a stretcher. They carry him down the mountain, and finally, 6 a.m. the next morning, they get him down to the bottom, and the guy survives. Like, this is some really hard stuff. When you think about doing something hard, I think that qualifies as a pretty hard thing. But to bring it back to earth for a minute, like, what's hard for us? Maybe if you're a student, school is hard. Or if you have relationships with people that are particularly hard. Or work is hard. Or there's something you're facing in this world that's hard and difficult. I was praying for Doug and Masha Shepard this morning in the Ukraine and thinking about just what it's like to be, like right now, what is it, like 2 a.m. or something over there? What it's like to wake up and be under siege. Like, that's difficult. That's hard. What do we do in those situations when things are that difficult? It pushes us to, to ask the question of what is our spirituality all about? Is God real? What would it mean for, for me to have a relationship with God in such a way that even in those hard moments, somehow his grace is present. Because see, that's, that's what's going on in the Lord's Prayer. The disciples ask Jesus, so how should we pray? And they ask him because when he prays, things happen. When he prays, his father responds. When he prays, it seems like he knows just what to ask and he has just this posture towards his father and understands his posture toward him. And so the disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? And then we have this thing called the Lord's Prayer that we say every week, in our worship service. It's probably better titled the Disciples' Prayer, right? Jesus says, if you want to know how to pray, here's the prayer. He could have said Psalm 119, right? The longest psalm, really long one. He gives them this one, these things to say, this is the prayer from Jesus for us, his followers. What do we learn from it? And so three kind of ideas I want us to think about. The first is, Jesus assumes we will discover that we need to pray, Okay, and I'm going to talk to you about that, especially for the skeptics among us. Jesus assumes that we're going to discover that we need to pray. Secondly, Jesus assumes we will have a, an approach to prayer, an approach that's actually not accurate. And then we read here at the end that Jesus reveals how he is calling us to approach prayer. Okay, so those three ideas. Jesus assumes we're going to discover we need to pray. He assumes we're going to take a swing at it. And then he says, this is how to pray. So let's start with this. Jesus assumes that we're going to need to pray. Jesus says in verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stay praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. And so Jesus is addressing people here who are asking the question, how do we pray? And he says, when you pray, this is, this is how you should pray. Now, everybody prays. You know, last, yesterday, if you were watching the UT-LSU game, you might have been praying that the LSU Tigers could have, you know, beat the best college baseball team in the United States right now, University of Texas Longhorns. You're, who are you talking to? Come on, man, you can do it. I mean, you're praying for the, maybe you're just calling out to the team thinking your energy will transfer to them and they're going to play. Or maybe you're just, you know, feeling like you're more part of it if you call out. Like, maybe you're looking to yourself. You know, we all, sometimes we come to places in our lives and we think, I need to figure out how to get myself out of this. Like, I can do this. Like, to whom do you pray? Why do you pray? It was common for Jewish people, as Jesus is speaking to them, those who were asking him, because they knew the scriptures, for him to assume that they would pray. When you pray, don't pray like this. Don't pray like those in the synagogue who are doing it for show. But when you pray, 
See, throughout the Scriptures, whether you're in the book of Genesis and you're learning about Adam and Eve or you're looking at Moses and you're in Exodus and you're hearing about the, t- the tablets being given or if you're with the prophets and the prophets are speaking to the people on behalf of God or you're looking at the priests and the worship or the priests are speaking to God on behalf of the people, wherever you look in the Older Testament, you find a God who wants to have relationship, communion with us. Jesus himself, the incarnation, Jesus comes to be among us and part of us and part of our lives. And we see that in the Newer Testament. The whole of the scriptures from start to finish are about a God who wants us to engage in this thing called communion, prayer, to speak with him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus says this, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on uh, on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's going to come a time in your life where you need something and it feels so essential and so important to your soul. Where are you going to go for that? Jesus is telling us right here, the word of God is actually meant to be so essential for us, so important for us. It's like bread for the soul a critical element for growing in our understanding of who God is. Do we believe it? You know, my kids are older now, but this still happens to us where Jamie or I will call up and say, hey, dinner's ready. Come on down. Two minutes goes by. Five minutes goes by. Where are they? Well, I don't know. Guys, come on down. It's time to eat dinner. And when, when they were little, I remember they would be so excited playing in the dirt outside, you know, having a baseball game, doing their thing. Hey, guys, it's dinner time. They're like, no, we must play more. Dinner must is not that important. And in that moment, dinner's not that important. But what happens two hours later and three hours later? What do all parents say to their kids when they won't come in for dinner? You're going to be hungry later. Understand this. God's word is something we're meant to feast on. It's something we're meant to hear every week. It's something we're meant to process and take in because there's going to come a moment where you may be saying, I don't need this right now, where you're going to wonder, can I know God in this moment? When you pray, where will you go? The word is meant to be like bread for us. Jesus is saying, come and feast on these things so you know the Father that loves you, so you can commune with him. But Jesus isn't talking just to the the people who are familiar with him there. He's not just talking to the God-fearers who are Jewish in that moment. He's also speaking to the Gentiles. He says in verse 7, And when you pray, don't babble on like pagans, pagans, for they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Well, what is that all about? I actually mentioned this when we talked about the Lord's, uh, this section of Scripture a couple weeks ago. But it was very common in that day to think about the way you approach God's is like this, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you until you give me what you want. I'm going to keep doing it until you respond. Again, I feel like there's a lot of parenting analogies there. I won't go into them. But there, you know, there's this sense of let me just pester you till I get what, what I need from you. And Jesus says that's actually, you know, everybody's going to go there. Even people who don't believe in who God is, if they, if they don't believe in who Jesus is, at some point you realize there's a power outside of yourself that's greater than you. And the question becomes, are they for me or against me? Will they will that power on my behalf or not? When you pray, pray like this. Don't pray like this. Jesus is inviting us into a specific relationship with God, one who is interested in us and cares for us. You know, Christianity is different than all other world religions in this regard. We have a God who wants to know us, who humbles himself, who approaches us. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. 
in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, this is very different. The kind of God we worship, this Jesus, is one who wants us to know we have access to him. He comes as a servant. He invites us to imitate him in his humility, to find life. You know, sometimes when we approach God, we think, I've got to earn his favor. I've got to be serious enough. I've got to get it together before he'll hear me. No, did you hear how Jesus comes? He comes as a servant. If you're trying to impress God, I hate to tell you this, he's seen a, the lives of a lot of people over the ages. And as impressive as you may be, do you, is that really how you want to approach this? Am I impressive enough for God to be interested in me? Jesus comes humbly, sets aside his glory, comes in the form of a servant to reach us, to move toward the cross that we might find life. Maybe you've heard this metaphor before, that all world religions, right, are like a mountain, and they all lead to the same peak. And if we're all going up different sides, north, south, east, west, we all get to the same peak. Now, there's some interesting things about that discussion, but actually the part of that that bothers me most and I think is the most inaccurate is this. We don't go up the mountain. Jesus comes down to us. He approaches us. He moves toward us. It's not the same because Jesus wants real, living communion with us and he does it at great expense to himself. What's in common with all world, world religions? You know, if you look at the different world religions, one of the things you discover, all of them have this desire to figure out, to hack into this understanding of communion. What does it mean for us to access something or someone beyond ourselves who has power for us? And God is inviting us into this relationship when you pray. Now, I don't know what desperation, you know, you're experiencing in your life. You know, maybe you're like me. I woke up early, it's Sunday, so your pastor gets up early on Sunday mornings, and I woke up, and you know, it doesn't take more than 10 seconds of looking at the news to see what's going on in the world, to think about what's happening in Ukraine, and rather than talk about the politics of what's happening there, you know what the first thought that came to my mind was? How are Doug and Masha doing? God, please protect them. Please watch. I have no power to help them. Jesus does. When you pray, approach the throne of grace. God is inviting us to access this thing called a relationship. Have you accessed it? You know, in this life, you're going to face lots of challenges. Where are you going to go? Maybe it'll be a challenge like I experienced last week. Anybody playing Wordle out there? I did one. I had four words in a row with three of the same letters in the same place the whole time. I was like, I can't figure this out. Like, that's a small thing. It's irrelevant, right? There are real personal challenges we all deal with each week. Where do you go in the midst of that challenge? Is where you're going leading to resurrection? That's what this prayer is leading us toward, the idea of where are we going to find our strength and what is sufficient for us? Because you're going to discover at some point you need to pray. You need a God who will listen, and this one does. Okay. Secondly, let's talk about how we often approach prayer. 
For those who are, you know, they've read the Older Testament that Jesus is speaking to here. Jesus has been saying things they understand. He's saying something, a lot of things they don't understand. But they're familiar with the idea of who God is and what it means to, to approach Him. Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. And part of what Jesus is saying very simply there is He is not interested in performance. He is interested in authenticity. Have you ever had this moment in your life where you're praying to God and you think, I actually don't even know what to ask you for. This is so hard and difficult, I don't even know what to say. That's real. Jesus also says, don't do it for show. Look, I'm a pastor. You think I don't think about what I'm praying? I'm trying to be accurate. I want you to uh, enjoy it and appreciate it. Jesus is talking about something else here. This idea of praying in such a way to impress people that you have power to use God you know, on your own terms. It's like when you say you're going to pray for someone and then you're like, well, I'm not really going to pray for them, but I want them to think I am. God actually wants you to be able to be compassionate to them and say, I'm going to pray for you. And to actually know that it's significant and meaningful. He says, don't pray on the street corners and the synagogues. We don't see a lot of that here in the woodlands, but there, there are places where people will you know, pray from certain corners and stuff just to incur the favor of others. Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in that at all. And then in verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like, babbling like pagans, for they, will be, um, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do you understand kind of what's going on here is this idea of pleading, begging, you know, as if that's how we approach God. I remember once when I was in Guadalajara and was with a bunch of people, and, and I was told by the guide, listen, the, these cute little precious kids are going to come up to you, and they're going to want to sell you candy and gum and stuff, and don't do it. It's impossible not to. Like, they're so cute. And you're like, okay, a quarter? Sure, here's a quarter for some gum or whatever. Is that how we approach God? Do we have to beg for him to respond? Jesus is saying no. Don't do it as if you, don't, don't act as if you have to sort of plead with him, wondering how he'll respond. Actually, he is gracious. He will respond. What's your approach to God? Do you approach him as one wondering if he'll hear you, or do you approach him as one who knows he's the Father who loves you? If you haven't thought about it, please do. Because you're going to reach a moment in your life where you call out and, and wonder, is God going to hear me? Jesus is trying to make it abundantly clear here. This is how you should pray. This is what it means to pray. I remember when my kids were little, every night when they would go to bed, Jamie and I would go pray the Lord's Prayer with them. We wanted them to have this prayer accessible in those moments when we're not with them. Because you can't always protect your kids. You can't always be with them. You can't, overwatch, you can't always watch over them. There's one who can. There's one who does watch over even our children when we can't. The Lord of heaven and earth. So if we're not supposed to pray to just impress people, if we're not supposed to pray to prove something to people, if we're not supposed to pray in such a way that we're trying to use God to you know, sort of get things done on our own terms, how then should we pray? Jesus answers, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Think about some of those things that Jesus says. We'll do a whole sermon series on the Lord's Prayer in the future, but let me just point out a couple ideas here. First, we learn about who God is, that he's holy. What does it mean for God to be holy? It means he is completely other. You know what else it means? It means when you try to figure out who God is, if you try to figure out who God is just by whatever you can imagine, it's going to be insufficient. 
you're not creative enough to come up with the kind of God that loves you like this. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our God is entirely different. He's holy. Verse 10, Jesus talks about his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Well, he says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of what this means for us is that Jesus actually has a plan. That there's a kingdom that Jesus is bringing about in our midst. And he's inviting us to participate with him and to say, your kingdom come. God is doing something. Or think about it this way. It means God is engaged. Do you ever feel like God is distant and disinterested? Maybe if people in your life, you feel like they're disinterested. Maybe I've made you feel that way. Here's the good news. This is a God who says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's inviting us to actually participate with him in that prayer for that to come to pass. What else? Verse 10, that his will is going to be done. What a great encouragement. If the Father's love for us is perfect, he's always interested in us, he's caring for us, his will is going to be done. That means that even when we can't see how things are going to work out, that actually his grace and his promises says that it will Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. God's aware of our needs. I kind of wish he would just give me everything I want, but what do we read here? He's aware of our needs. Give us today our daily bread, this kind of big picture for God's awareness of the fundamentals that we need. Verse 12, he forgives whatever we owe him. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, we've talked about this before, but this is the paradigm of the gospel. If we find it's really difficult to forgive people, how do you think God wants us to deal with that? How you might think is that what he wants me to do is to really get serious about it and like really muscle forgiveness. Actually, I would say probably not. If we're struggling to forgive people, where should we go? Right back to square one. How has God forgiven me? How does God love me? What does it mean for me to really experience his forgiveness? Because when I begin to understand that, my heart begins to become transformed. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, we're in this season of Lent, just in the church calendar. We're re-entering that season where we remember Jesus making his way toward the cross. He knows he's headed towards Good Friday and resurrection, but he's got to go through Good Friday first. And it's an opportunity for us to say, you know, how am I doing in following Jesus as a disciple? Maybe it's just prayer. Maybe you're somebody who doesn't pray at all. You know something you could do real simple during the season of Lent? Say the Lord's Prayer maybe every morning when you get up or every night before you go to bed. Husbands and wives, when you go to sleep at night, this could be your Lenten practice. We're just going to say the Lord's Prayer together before we go to sleep at night. That's all we're going to do. Even when we're mad at each other, we're going to push past and just pray the Lord's Prayer together and then go to bed angry or, you know, wherever you are in that moment. He forgives us whatever we owe him. He can guide our hearts. He keeps us free from temptation. He can protect us, deliver us from the evil one. You ever wondered why it is we pray for things that are far beyond our power, like for our friends, Doug and Masha? Because there is one who is actually able to move in and protect. What a great encouragement Jesus is inviting us into to understand how, who his father is and his posture toward us, his posture if you think about it, God's posture towards us is one of a loving, tender, gentle, 
heavenly Father who knows our needs and reaches out to us. Even, have you ever said this? How do I even pray? Here's the answer. It couldn't be more tangible. This then is how you should pray. And in doing this, we cultivate our relationship with God. We grow in grace. We begin to access faith. Verses 14 and 15, consider this. What happens when we, when we begin to believe these things? When we begin to understand who God is and his posture toward us, what begins to happen to us? Jesus says, for if you forgive people, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, when we read that at first, part of what we think is, okay, I get the mechanics of this. If I'm not forgiving, God doesn't forgive me. Well, that's true. But what is Jesus doing here? He's talking about the transformation of the heart. You ever had a friend who can mold clay? You ever seen that, right? Those big blobs of clay, and they put them on those little circle things, and you like touch it, and you can shape it. That is what happens to our hearts. It begins to become shaped when we, when we start with this. Who is God? What does it mean for him to be holy? He wants to hear me. What does it mean for me to commune with him? What if I enter into prayer and begin to try to understand him and engage with him in my life? We begin to become shaped and transformed. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Jesus is giving us sort of an ability to do a litmus test on our hearts. It's a heart check. If there are people you absolutely refuse to give, refuse to forgive, or refuse to be gracious to, or refuse to approach, the goal of what I'm saying right now is not for you to feel more guilt. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, that if you actually believe God's word, he's leading you to a place where even that can be forgiven, even that can be approached, even that person you can be gracious to. God's inviting us into a kingdom-expressing experience, even in our relationships, because he's in the business of making dead things come to life. You know, if the Lord can forgive me, if the Lord can be gracious to me, can he be gracious to others? The more you pray this prayer and the more you lean to God's grace and his mercy, the more you begin to understand Jesus' words here. That if you're not able to forgive, it's because you really don't believe God has forgiven you. Jesus invites us to pray this prayer, to enter into this understanding of God's grace for us so that we can taste and see that he's good. Let me read you this quote. This is from John Stott. He says this, it's always wise before we pray to spend time de deliberately recalling who he is. Only then shall we come to our loving Father in heaven with appropriate humility, devotion. Those two things we can get, right? Only then can we approach him with humility and devotion. Okay, I get that. But what about this? Only then shall we come to our loving Father in heaven with appropriate humility and devotion and confidence. Confidence that God hears us, confidence that his power is great for us, confidence that he's interested in who we are, confident in this, that his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. My encouragement to you this week, as you think about whatever it is you're facing, is that maybe you hear this same question in your heart, Lord Jesus, how do I pray? And you run back to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and following, and pray that prayer. You know, I, I encourage you to engage uh, in your spirituality through this practice of prayer that Jesus invites you into that you might taste and see that he's good. Okay? Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, it is such a simple prayer that you give, and yet it is profound. To pray to you as our Father, the one who loves us and cares for us, to pray that your kingdom would come 
on earth as it is in heaven, to pray for something as simple as provision, like bread. Lord, we would ask that you give us faith to believe that those prayers are heard by you, that you respond, that you are powerful for us, that you are actually our Heavenly Father, that we might approach you with devotion because you are holy, that we would approach you in humility because our Savior himself was humble, but also that we would approach you in confidence because we are, in fact, your children. Would you do this work in us as we trust in your grace? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.